Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. We read the word of the Lord. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, divisions, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word today, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, as I, as I read the passage today, it... It, it reminds me a bit of, of like a boxing match. Now, I'm, that, that analogy may totally fall flat because I'm not like big into boxing, but you kind of have in one corner you've got your one opponent, and in the other corner you've got your other opponent, and then like the bell dings, and they meet in the middle, and they're, they're throwing fists. You know, they're, they're, trying to, they're trying to score points to knock the other guy out, right? So you got your feints, you got your uppercuts, you're moving, you're jockeying, you're trying to get yourself into position so that, that you can land that blow, you can, you can get that hit in that you need, you can, you can score those points, you can win the match. In our, in our passage today, we're looking at a battle, right? The battle between spirit and flesh. In one corner, we have the flesh. Now, the flesh is a term used to describe our old nature, our, our natural nature, the one that we're born with. And our old nature desires to be God. It thinks that if we need any saving, it can save us all on its own. We don't, we don't need any outside influence telling us what we can or, or can't do. The old nature desires to be the ultimate authority in our lives. It wants to be the boss. It wants to determine morality, what's right and what's wrong. Now we call it the old nature, but it's, it's not the nature that we were created with. When God made us in his image, he pronounced us as good and pleasing, and there is nothing good or pleasing to God about our old nature. During man's fall from grace recorded in Genesis 3, the good and pleasing image of man was corrupted. We were tainted. We had sinned. 
And now sin is a part of us where it hadn't been before. We often refer to it as original sin, as, as it is the sin that is with us from the time that we are conceived, as we read in Psalm 51.5. We have it with us at all times. Now in verses 19 to 21 of our passage today, we get a list of the things that our old nature, our flesh desires, wants, urges us to do, to pursue. And that list is fairly extensive. It covers sexual sins. It covers sins involving selfish ambition. Some are relational sins, and there is some substance abuse in there as well. You know, these evil works make clear the chaotic and destructive self-centeredness that accompanies rebellion against God. These are the works of the flesh. These are the things that our old nature desires, craves, pushes us to pursue. The old nature, the flesh, is in one corner. It's in one side of the battle that is happening within us. And in the other corner is the Spirit. The Spirit being referenced here is the Holy Spirit who came down at Pentecost, who we receive in baptism. The Spirit who has been working on our hearts and calling us into relationship with God. The Spirit that works on every man and can interact with us because of Jesus' victory over sin and death on the cross through his crucifixion and resurrection. The veil was torn. The separation between man and God was abolished. The work needed was done. And so now that man can commune with God, we have the Spirit who indwells us, works in us, and turns our hearts towards God. Turns our hearts. Turns our desires towards, thing that, towards the things that God desires. In our passage today, in verses 22 to 23, Paul lists out the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that the Spirit grows in us. And they fight against the desires of the flesh. Galatians has been walking us through our interactions with the Spirit. In chapter 3, verses 3 and 14, we read that we begin our Christian experience by the Spirit. In chapter 4, verse 6, we read that we have become sons of God and heirs with Christ by virtue of the Spirit. And today we read that we are to live by the Spirit. To live by the Spirit. To do the things that the Spirit is calling us to do. To bear its fruit. To please God. And the flesh hates this. Hates it. The flesh has no desire to be ruled by the Spirit. It wants to be God, remember? It wants to rule. The flesh wants its own desires to be king. To be obeyed. To be satisfied. And so the two battle within us. The flesh and the spirit blow after blow. They fight within us, waging war over our desires. And as verse 17 says, to keep us from doing the things we want to do. To keep us from doing the things we want to do. 
Now, at first glance, that may appear to say that there's a stalemate. That the spirit is able to counter the flesh, but that the flesh is able to restrain the spirit and that neither gains ground or can overcome the other. But that simply is not true. Though at times, as we go through life, it may feel that way. It is simply not true. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 tells us that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And he that is in you is greater than you. Stronger than you in the desires, impulses, and pulls of your flesh. He that is in you is of the same power and glory as the one who took all of the sin. Bore all of the sin that our flesh leads us into. That Satan tempts us into and paid for it all on the cross. He that is in you is of the same power that defeated sin and death. He is stronger than the old nature that fights within you, that rebels within you, and he will overcome. The Spirit will overcome. Yet, we waver, we fall. We succumb to the desires of the flesh, the allure, the draw, the temptations of the flesh. We will give in at times. There will be times, many, many times, when the flesh will land its blow, land its shots, and we will fail. I mean, look at that list. Read verses 19 to 21. Is there anything there that you struggle with? Anything there that pulls you? That draws you? You know, you may have buried it or, or be trying to bury that. But it still calls you from that deep place. And somehow, no matter how hard we, we try to get it down, it gets out again And again, as we sit, you know, as I sit face to face with the reality of my sin, my heart breaks with the truth of Paul's words in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, where we read, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Wretched man. That I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's what it feels like, right? Like we're trapped, trapped in a body of death, trapped and in need of deliverance, in need of saving, in need of a savior. Thankfully, Paul doesn't end his thought process with that verse. He continues in verse 25 Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, so that I myself, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Thanks be to God, we have been delivered, we have been saved, we have been set free through the works of Jesus Christ. The Spirit will overcome. 
the one leading you in your internal battle against the flesh will overcome. The spirit counters the desires of the flesh in a way that the law just never could. Yet, Paul acknowledges that even in the freedom we have in Christ, that we still in these bodies, in this time, deal with the flesh. One day, you know, we'll be purified of the allure of sin and our desire for it. One day, one glorious day. But until that day, despite our freedom in Christ, we still struggle against the flesh and the law of sin. And that law of sin hits us in the face in verse 21. Paul has just listed out all of these works of the flesh. Things that we fight against and yet at times give into. And then Paul says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa. So we've been given freedom in Christ just to have the chains slap backed on the first time we step out of line. You know, as we, as we read this passage, we need to read it in light of the context in which it's given. Last week, we looked at chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, and the focus of Paul's thoughts, his thought process there was that don't lose grace by trying to earn it and don't abuse grace by taking advantage of it. And Paul is continuing that here. First of all, as, as we look at this translation, the, the word that is translated to do is the Greek word praso. And Paul uses this word many times and in similar contexts, particularly in Romans chapter 1, verses 32, and Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Romans 1.32 reads, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And then in Romans 2, 1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Practice. When Paul uses the word proso in this context, it is to be understood as practice. And that is the best way to understand it here in Galatians. Paul is giving grave warning to the practice of the works of the flesh. We know that to practice something is to get involved in it, to immerse yourself in it, to live in it, doing it repeatedly and intentionally, to let it train you, to let it develop you, so that you become better and better at it. I mean, we're familiar with the term of practice, right? If I run a marathon, I have to run a lot. I have to practice. I have to train my body to be able to do that. If I want to be a pitcher, I've got to practice again and again my arm movement, how I put my fingers in, and it's, it's again and again, repetition, 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 over and over. 
I think, like, particularly in, in something like baseball, where, I mean, you go through all these different minor leagues, you know, like football and, you, and some of these other sports, basketball, straight out of, straight out of like, uh, high school sometimes in basketball, and right out of college, you're starting. When you're drafted in baseball, it's, I need to train my body. I mean, unless you're, like, a superstar like Mike Trout or something, but normally you go through, like, AAA and spend a lot of time, a lot of time practicing and working through how things go. And then, and then you get called up to the big leagues. Then you get moved up. And even then, you may need to, to get put back so you can continue to practice. Continue to get that time in. Practice. Being involved in. Letting it train us. Paul has not spent five chapters in this letter to the Galatians about how the gospel, talking about how the gospel sets us free from the requirements of the law as a meaning of salvation just to undo it with a single sentence near the end of the epistle. In verse 21, Paul is not intending to undermine our assurance of salvation. He is instead intending to abolish complacency. He is, staring, he is stating clearly, do not be complacent in your sin. Do not let the sins of the flesh, the works of the flesh, train you. Do not live in them. Do not live in them. Instead, rest in the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Do not let the works of the flesh train you. Instead, train in the Spirit. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14 reads, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Look at what the grace of God, the Spirit of God does for us. I mean, it saves us. Hallelujah. And then it trains us. It trains us, helping us to curb the desires of the flesh, to deny them. And live in the way that God wants us to live. This is not something we can do on our own. It is the Spirit's enabling that enables us to be trained by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. So it is only because of the Spirit that we can even walk in the Spirit in the first place. Without the Spirit, we're helpless. We need to be enabled. A few years ago, I was uh, up in Cal- Calgary, Alberta, working as a youth and young adult director up there. And I, I don't have the greatest back. Like, it would be nice if my back was better, but it's not. I, I did some things to kind of mess it up when I was a little younger. And I threw my back out real bad while I was up there. I mean, it was a rather embarrassing story. I'm not going to go into all the details right now. But I, I wrecked myself at, at one of the one of the youth kids' places, and I'm just like laying there. I couldn't do anything. The pain was way too immense. 
And so my, my youth kid and, and the, the pastor, actually I had to, I had to call the pastor to come and, and, and help me with some things that were going on. And I had to call Karen to come and she had to get all these kids in the car and come get me. I, I was useless, entirely helpless, laying on my back. And they had to, they had to pick me up. The, the only way to, to get through this pain as far as the doctors and stuff is my back had cramped up and I needed to use those muscles. I had to walk. I couldn't do it on my own. I had, I had my youth kid holding up one shoulder and my, my pastor holding up the other shoulder and I'm like, you know, kind of making my way around. It's embarrassing. My kids are all sitting there looking at me like, what's wrong with dad? How come he can't do this? We finally get home and I'm like quarantined to the couch. I got to the point where I could sit up, but I still, I couldn't walk. And, and again, to be able to do it, I needed to be enabled. In order to do the thing that would help me, I needed to be enabled. I had to have my brother put his hands underneath my armpits and walk me around the house. So I'm taking the steps, but if he's not there supporting me, I'm just going to fall. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability. The pain's too great. The strength isn't there. My back is weak. And so for like two weeks, I'm getting walked around the house by my brother. Enabling. I needed his enabling. I needed the enabling of, of friends to pick me up because I couldn't do it on my own. And just as I needed my brother to enable me to walk, so, so we need God. So we need the Spirit to enable us to walk in the Spirit. It's not something we can do on our own. It's not something we're able to do on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to enable us to walk by the Spirit. Our depravity, our human nature would not let that happen. God had to save us. So he could save us. And he's done it. He's done it all. I'm reminded again and again of how much I need the Lord. To save me initially. And to sustain me eternally. Again, both our justification and our sanctification are by the grace of God. His works on our behalf so that we might have a relationship with him. As we sang earlier, and, and we'll sing again, oh, how I need you, Lord. You know, as Christians, the spirit is active within us. And he longs to show us Christ and to conform us to Christ. The spirit longs to train us. And as it trains us, we bear its fruit. Verses 22 to, to 23 list out the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that as we rest in the Spirit, as we read the Bible, trusting it to be true and the ultimate authority on matters of faith and how we should live and how we should treat others and then applying that learning as we fellowship with believers. The Word of God, by His abundant grace and mercy, trains us and begins to bear this fruit. And bearing fruit can be a process. You know, it doesn't happen overnight. It isn't instantaneous. It's a gradual process. It doesn't happen as fast as we would like, but it does happen. Those that walk in the Spirit, that rest in the Spirit, bear the fruit of the Spirit. 
It's inevitable. It's a byproduct of walking in the Spirit just as much as bearing apples is a byproduct of being an apple tree. The fruit of the Spirit will manifest in your life as you walk with the Spirit. The Spirit is our guide and our companion. God is with us as we fight along the path of life, both the battles internal and those external. To live by the Spirit is to live in a battlefield, to live in a boxing match. But we have our guide, we have our companion, we have our Lord and Savior. We have the one who is strengthening us, the one who is training us. We no longer need to look to the rule of the law to find our worth and our direction. Our companion, the Spirit, gives us all the guidance, discipline, and direction that we need. It trains us, causing us to bear fruit that enriches our walk with Him and strengthens our relationships with Him and our neighbors. And the Spirit does not let us down. It will not be overcome or defeated by the wiles of the evil one, nor the desperation and deception that lives in the heart of man. Christ has overcome every obstacle, and so the Spirit will overcome. As Andrew A. Das puts it in his commentary on the Galatians, the believer lives in victory even as he or she lives in hope. The believer lives in victory even as they live in hope. As a Christian, you live in victory despite the battle raging within you. You live in victory. For the battle in your hope belongs to the Lord. Rest in that. Rest in that truth. That victory as you rest in the word of God. Amen.